Hello. Hello. Hi, Dan. How are you? Hi, Merlin. How are you? <clears throat> I'm pretty good. Pretty yeah. good. Yeah. I could probably use uh, one more coffee, but I think I can uh, soldier through. All right. I mean, you want to make one? We can wait. No. No, there's some people next door banging, so it's already going to be really loud. Oh, man. banging! They're, them- dis- they're disassembling an art studio. Really? Yeah. What's going in there? I don't know. I mean, pff, bubble tea. Um, <laughs> Just the safe assumption that that's what will go. <laughs> handies. Um, <laughs> you know, just usual civic improvement. Right. The the typical thing. Um, all you can really be sure of is they'll definitely be smoking lots of marijuana. Oh, yeah. Now, you were, you were telling me that that is, it's apparently it's legal to do that. Um, it's, I think it's decriminalized and, uh, and it's, it's, you know, it's just okay. People just smoking on the train now. They'll be in the tunnel and somebody will start smoking marijuana just because they feel like it. Hmm. If somebody did that with a cigarette, they'd hang them (laughs) from the highest yard arm. Everyone would. I need to have my marijuana while I'm sitting here. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're, maybe they ran out of battery on their Pokemans and, uh, but they needed some marijuana. (laughs) Have some marijuana. That'll help. (laughs) You know what? Have some more marijuana. Yeah. That's a good sign. If you're doing, if you're doing that a couple times a day, you're definitely on the right track. Anyway, mm. things are great. Uh, it's summertime. Things are slow. I'm not getting as many podcasts as usual. It's bumming me out. I'm having to, I'm going out and I'm seeking out new podcasts because I'm depleting my supply so quickly. Of the ones that you're on or the ones that you listen to? The ones I listen to. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a slow time of year. It's slow. Everything slows down. I think August, it's like, uh, we're like Paris now. Everything just slows down. <laughs> They're all going to go somewhere else. Hmm. Hmm. How are you doing? Oh, good. Yeah. I just got back <laughs> from Dallas yesterday. Oh, Dallas. That's in Texas. Yeah. Good. How you, uh, good, good traveling? Yeah. It, it, you know, it was my yearly required, you know, quote unquote vacation. That I, I have to take, and in the last what is few years, that mean, quote unquote vacation. That um, you know, it's something. It's where I'm not, I'm not here in the studio doing shows or or checking email or things like that. Where I'm away, I'm away from the computer and in a different city with my family. Good. That's nice. That's a, that's nice to have a break. Yeah, it's really important. We had fun. Need, we we uh, went. We saw the the zoo. They've got a fabulous uh, aquarium there. We went to the art museums. It was it was just a, a really nice nice time. Different kind of vacation for the kids who would usually just every year. My wife would plan us a little trip to a beach somewhere, and I thought you know instead of a beach, let's let's go and do a more of a city kind of vacation where we see things in it that a city has to offer, and they loved it. You can have fun anywhere, you know, in some ways I feel like, um, you know, the big overhead of planning the giant vacation and getting all the moving parts together, you know, can be kind of overwhelming. And if you're not, you know, mentally, physically, and emotionally prepared for that, it ends up not being very fun. I mean, it can be, you just gotta, you gotta plan it. But yeah, I, I like things like that. Some of my favorite things we've done in the last couple of years have just been going away for a couple nights somewhere. It could be really fun. I mean, you know, it sounds silly, but like, it's nice to go somewhere that's a little bit of a destination, maybe get a slightly nicer than normal hotel room that you can like hang out in and be chill in. Um, but it depends, you know, that's pretty much exactly what we did. Yeah. I think that can be, I think that can be nice. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure to 
have big fun vacations. And I think it's, it's sort of like that New Year's Eve syndrome. You know, there's all this pressure to like go, it's time to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I, I find a little off-putting because I'm a contrarian. No, I'm not. Um, that's good. Did you go to Dealey Plaza? Uh, you know what? That's been on my list of things to do, as I mentioned in the past. My son also very interested in that, but I wanted to, I wanted to do it justice. I wanted to take time there and really do. It's like Disney World, Dan. You really need three days. You need a few days and there's a, there was a lot of preparation and research and work and printed materials that I didn't have ready. So Mm -hmm. I decided to shelve it this time and the next time I might just go there just just with me and the boy or maybe, you know, the next time I have to go there for some other reason and and just do it on my own. But there is a museum there and it's uh, a museum like of the assassination. Well, it's about the time and the place. But, yeah, it's uh, the the book depository uh, itself and the floor that it it took place uh, on. Really? Yeah. The books, the book depository is still there. Yes. Whoa. No way. Yeah. Do they still use it for uh, suppositorying books? I don't think so. But they got that one floor with the uh, with the Italian rifle up there. I think so. Hmm. I don't hmm. know if you ha- can view through the window or if it's sort of you know how they have they'll have like a uh, a museum esque thing where it's roped off and you can kind of gaze upon. It. I don't know how it's set up yet. Sure, but I'm pretty sure that it's not like wow. the the uh, the Hercules where you can go and sit in the Howard Hughes chair and wear the hat and get your picture taken. You know, like with the with the Oswald rifle or anything like that. I don't, I don't think it's, Oh, some people will probably find that in, in poor taste. I mean, there's always people who are going to complain about everything. A lot of people think a lot of things, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. See, I'll bet. I wonder if going there, you get a different feel for it. Cause even when you watch movies, you watch documentaries, you know, you see the comedian out there, uh, all of those things. Uh, I still wonder if like seeing it in person makes you get a better perspective on, you know, I don't know. It looks, yeah. looks like it would have been tough for that one guy to do it. Well, I mean, I'll, he, was a, he was a Marine. He was a Marine. Uh, he was a Marine. I'll determine that when I go. But it's this time we just did. We the, the aquarium is fantastic. It's uh, yeah. like a five or six story enclosed and yet open, uh, wonderful sort of uh, space filled with beautiful birds and uh, flora, fauna, everything in there. It's crazy. They got crocodiles in there. I think um, I think aquaria are underrated. <laughs> we got a really good one down in Monterey. Uh, the one where they shot that uh, Star Trek movie. Um, it's real. They're really, really good. They got all kinds of seahorses. They got anchovies swimming in a circle, which feels kind of like life. Uh, they got lots of lots of good stuff. I saw I saw Dean Stockwell there. Oh day. really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I I didn't say anything. I was a gentleman about it. But yeah, no, he was totally there with his family. I almost went up and I said, "Hey, you're Dean Stockwell," but I figured he already knew that. You don't want to disrupt somebody's aquarium. Experience. Did he have uh, what was the name of the little computer? Uh, Tweaky? No. Uh, uh, oh, is this, are you, is this a Quantum Leap? Yeah, in Quantum Leap, the little computer. Quick, quick. Well, I never watched that show. I know him from, wasn't he in like, uh, he was in like a uh, David Lynch movie, wasn't he? Sure. I know him from, I think I know him from Blue Velvet. Yeah, yeah he Blue, was, in, he he was, was totally in Blue, in Blue Velvet. He was, uh. He was that one guy. He was, uh, I'm looking up right now. Married to the Mob. Ziggy. Ziggy. Ziggy was the computer. Was he the really creepy guy who like, oh, sorry. Ben, he was Ben. Ben, he was Ben in uh, Blue Velvet. Wasn't he like the guy, creepy guy who ran the bar? You know, I can't remember. He's kind of like the effeminate guy with the, with the cigarette holder. Wasn't that him? <laughs> I, don't, I, did, I don't remember. Huh, huh. But I Ziggy, Ziggy was the little computer that he was always tapping on. 
He'd be uh, holding the cigar. He'd be tapping on Ziggy and talking to Sam, who was leaping from one time to another. Dean Stockwell didn't go with him for the leaps? Uh, well, no, he wasn't physically there, but he could communicate with him in that special room that he was in, in the chamber. But is he traveling through time? Yeah, of course. He's traveling through time, but he has a time calm? And yeah, the way that it worked mm. was that Sam Sam was was being sent, accidentally sent through time to different in into the body of a different person sometimes a man sometimes a woman you never oh, knew right. and the big reveal is he looks in a mirror and sees who he is right? that's right and he never knows until he <sighs> does that whether that he's good. yeah whether he's he's a man or a woman or at what age he is or race it was great and so his goal was sort of to resolve some kind of crisis that that person would be in sometimes just day-to-day crises other times they were super important famous you know world famous people making important he, decisions. he might be like what like marilyn monroe or something could be yes mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. and so um uh dean stockwell's character was back in whatever the current day and date was of you know when the show began 1989 to 1993 okay and he would be in there communicating with sam through the there's a special room that i guess sam was in where when he would transfer his consciousness into that person's body that person would then be transferred into sam's body waiting uh, in in the chamber in some way but there was a computer portal and he'd walk around with ziggy and he'd tap on ziggy and like ask it questions and it made little sounds and i always imagine that's, he'd that's carry, a pretty good, i would just carry that around if oh, i was yeah. like the guy doing I, it I, I would just pull that thing out set it on the I can't imagine table what ziggy, ziggy i don't know ziggy is I'll put a picture runs of and helps sam yeah that's a good conceit for a show marvin barry um, it's been a big week, a huge week. Huge Sam's week. womanizing cigar smoking companion and best friend who <laughs> appears to him as a hologram. Yeah. Hologram. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's weird how some shows just, uh, you just, you just miss them. That was not in my wheelhouse. Oh, like it, it passed you by. It passed me by. It ran around the same time that Seinfeld started till mm. 93. I was watching a lot. I was loving the Simpsons. I was loving Seinfeld. Huh? Yeah, that's wild. Quantum Leap. I yeah. might have been talking, he might could have been a hologram. I saw it at the aquarium. Who knows? Um, <laughs> I have many odds and sods and a potential idea for a topic. I didn't ask you about this, but I have a potential idea for a topic. Okay. Well, um, one of our listeners, who I should find by name and credit, uh, asked... Um, how I'm using OmniFocus nowadays. Yes. And I don't, I don't know if you agree, and I don't know if this is too duplic- duplicative, but I think that could be a nice fit for our update series to talk about how we think about and do task tracking differently versus where we have done it in the last 10 years or so. Okay, cool. Yeah. Like uh, we don't have to do a lot on that, but you know, I thought that would be interesting. I think it'd be great because there are so many app- applications, apps, programs out there that I guess in theory are designed to make managing tasks managing processes easier and omnifocus is really one of the big ones i think still but it can be a little bit daunting and intimidating i think if you well yeah don't know what you're getting and i wouldn't want to i'm sorry i keep interrupting you go ahead caller i don't want to present it as here is our up-to-date 2016 survey of (laughs) to-do apps uh because i i don't use those things i don't want to say i don't care but i don't care 
Um, what I can tell you is how I'm using that stuff real differently. And I, it, th- I think it fits this pattern of what we're talking about really nicely, which is there are some things I still have a lot of need for and a huge number of things I have no need for or very little need for, or I found a much more lightweight um, way to do the things that I need to do. And perhaps that's also a point where you can address, you've been much more ambitious at looking like looking at things like Trello and stuff like that. So, I mean, I feel like the, the big patterns, I'm using a lot less of this stuff. And when I do, it's much more functional. Right. It's, it's much, you know, it's, I don't know. I always, I, I would get defensive sometimes in the past and push back a little about this idea of productivity porn, um, you know, getting so involved in your own system that, you know, you kind of forget why you're doing it. But I think that's always a hazard. And I've become more aware of that than ever. And I, I rarely find myself doing fiddly stuff that increases the size and weight of the various systems. And one of the things I want to talk about is actually how I'm, I've made most of the systems a lot more lightweight on purpose. So could that be a topic? Yeah, I like that one. Before we get there, we have, I have mini odds and sods. All right. And I know this is a section you really enjoy. Yes, I do. Odds and sods is a trademark uh, feature of John Syracuse. Odds and sods. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in fake follow-up, I want to mention that this Thursday night, uh, this is very quick, uh, the ungainly X-Men meetup at Two Cats Comics is this Thursday, 320 West Portal Avenue here in San Francisco. You can go to MerlinM.com slash meetup to learn more. We talked about this last few weeks. I won't go on about it, but please come out if you're in town and you want to visit, you want to say hello, you want to get a drink after, um, please stop by. So go to MerlinM.com slash meetup for details on that. I think I did it like four weeks in a row. I've been pretty good this time about promoting that. And it is a weekly event, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've had 14 of them, uh, one every week. Nice. Uh, no, not accurate, okay. but uh, I like that comic store a lot. They do very well, I think, but I want to encourage people to go there. I, you know, I, I want to encourage you to go to Two Cats Comics because they are really great people. They're very, they're, they're, they're nerdy, but they're not dorks. Like they will... They will have a conversation with you. They will not try to win arguments with you or impress you with their knowledge. They will help connect you to things that you might really enjoy, no matter how much or little comic exposure you've had in the past. And that's a gem. When you can find a place like that and it doesn't feel like a pissing contest, that's a really nice thing. They're very, very nice people. And they have tons of those uh, cute little Funko uh, figures. A lot of Funkos. Oh, those are really, really big right now, I think, in the, uh, in the, just the community at large. And every time I go to like Austin Books and Comics here, they, they have a whole wall, floor to ceiling of these things. It's a triumph of marketing, um, a triumph of marketing relationships. Cause it's amazing. Honestly, I'm not saying this to sound cynical. It's amazing how many different properties, titles, brands are represented. You know, these things like Game of Thrones, they got some new ones coming out for Bob's Burgers, could be Peanuts. Like it's amazing that they've been able to be They've, they've created such a brand as making these cute little big head characters that they can cutify almost anything. And then, I mean, it's one thing to be able to like design that, but then to strike all of those relationships. Do you, yeah. you ever think about that? How many different, you know, is there anything else like that right now? Maybe Lego, but the time to market on that seems a lot. It seems like a much bigger kind of relationship, but they'll just be like, oh yeah, here's this thing from, uh, here's that two-headed twin thing from that uh, TV show, you know, uh, American Gothic Story. What's that called? gothic american i don't know what that is it's isn't that the tv show you watch don't you watch that horror show a penny penny dreadful no gothic well, american yeah i don't know american, anyway, the guy, american horror story sure that's the one two-headed twin is that it oh yeah okay yes it all just came flooding back yes yes i have seen that they there's that, a, they the have guy. a toy her 
Oh, yeah. They, got oh, they don't all, have man. that at my shop. Oh, my God. It's so crazy how many of these there are. Let's go find. Let's go to the internet and find out. I think it's called Funko. Funko. Which is a great name. Funko. Makers of pop vinyl. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at all of these. They got a little Groot. Look at that. Yeah, the Groot's cute. So they got Batman. They got tons of DC. Oh, look at that. They got the new um, Tina Belcher. You can get Eve. You can <laughs> uh, look at all this. The NFL. My gosh, they have so many relationships. I will add uh, Funko, Funko Pop, Funko Pop. I'm going to add that to show notes for this episode. Dan, where can people find show notes for episode 283 of your Back to Work program? Oh, what, this one? The, the one we're doing now. Five by five. Five by five dot TV slash B as in brethren, two is in the number, W is in walrus, slash 283. 283. Yeah. Um, a couple, uh, few more things that I've put into notes that have come across the transom in the last week. We don't have time to talk about this today, but that article, um, how exhaustion became a status symbol is a really good read. Like the, the, the perma busy, the perma exhausted that yes, everybody is. Yeah. That was a pretty good read. I wanted to mention something. Um, I can't remember if I first talked about it here or talking with Jim, but certainly something that's certainly come up a lot. I'm pretty sure we've talked about this. It's difficult to find a comprehensive, let alone official list of everything that Siri can do. Oh yeah. And, and in the past I've, I really, I spent an okay amount of time, like really trying to figure this out. Um, oddly, Apple does not have much official stuff beyond, you know, basic marketing materials and mostly blogs have picked that up. Um, a reader, uh, a couple readers, listeners, were kind enough to send a link to something called <laughs> hey-siri.io, <laughs> which a listener of, I'm assuming the talk show, has made, they made a link with, let me see if I get this right. Go to yoding.us. <laughs> and that resolves. Of course. The, you know, how great is that? Somebody bought Yodingus. <laughs> You go to uh, yoding.us and it'll land you on this. And have you looked at this? No, I have not. Well, go, go check it out because I know you're, you enjoy an occasional Siri. And they've uh, pretty comprehensively gone through. I mean, obviously, it wouldn't be impossible to do every, say everything that it says. But it's almost like uh, looking at like Perl documentation or something. Well, it's easier to read than that. But there's lots of just practical explanations from as simple as, you know, section called mathematics. What is the square root of 25? And you can, and it shows you the variables that you can use. You can say things like, what date is two months after January 23rd, 2017, et cetera. Um, I'm going to say, check this out. Cause if you've been wondering about, well, whether or not you've been wondering about Twitter or uh, Siri, even if you've been using Siri, please look at this. Cause I think you will be surprised that you can do things like, did you know this one? You can say increase brightness, disable Wi-Fi. Um, is Bluetooth enabled? I didn't know you could do that. Just ask it. And if you've got, you know, if you're crazy with the hue lights like I am, there's lots of things you can say. Like you can just say movie night and it'll create that scene if you mm-hmm. have a scene with that name. Uh, tons of great context stuff. Some of these, where were the ones that really surprised me? All the great reminder stuff. All the great reminders. Notes. Where was the one? Oh, you can say, where is my phone? And it'll open up the phone app and find your phone. Uh, if you're doing it like from your iPad. Time stuff, alarms. What was the one? Oh, lots of questions. How old is Charlie Sheen? Where was Charlie Sheen born? Who is Charlie Sheen mar- married to? But only with All Charlie your, Sheen. Yeah, well, it's hardwired with that. Yeah, they forgot to put the dollar sign in front of it. Um, 
I'm trying to see some of these other ones, but this list is it's pretty crazy, and I think they're going to be updating it. So if you've been wondering about stuff you can do with Siri, go to it. Grab your grab your dingus and uh, have a nice sit down and try you out some of these uh, these cool things. Math. It just it really underscores something we we've both said, which is that unless you're using this a lot and kind of making yourself learn it a little bit, you're not gonna you're gonna barely scratch the surface right, of what you value. Can do you won't see the value in it. Yeah. Well, you know, there's there's one we talked about before. I still use this all the time. Open deliveries, right? Or you know, open calendar. You can, it's, it's actually faster than uh, than doing it with your uh, with your thumb. So that's a good one. That is in show notes. <clears throat> I wanted to also mention a friend of the show, uh, Brett Terpstra. Brett Terp, Terpstra. Brett What's up Terpstra. with him? How's he doing? He sounds like he's doing better. Good. Um, which is good. Um, he's, been, he's had a rough few months. Oh, yeah. I've heard uh, about that. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, healthcare system. It's so gross. It's really like, stupid. It sucks that you... Uh, you know, we spent dozens of years learning that just because your wiring and your chemistry and your plumbing are not perfect in your brain, that doesn't make you weird it's something i've had a lot hard time accepting with myself we finally after years and years of that we found okay I, I don't need to be embarrassed about like how i am and then you have to actually go through the health system mm-hmm. and try to get somebody to take you seriously about the empirical fact that you need help with your plumbing and wiring Ugh. love you brett so brett terpstra who is a creator of many things has done a lot of great work with um making markdown easier to do on your Mac and combine that with the amazing stuff that he does with services. I want to point you to an update to a thing of his that I, I use every day, which is, um, in, in his, uh, projects here, you'll see something called, um, what is it called? The name of it. So he's got this thing called the Markdown service tool, which is basically you download this thing. It's a bunch of little services. You drop that into, you know, tilde slash library slash services. And now you have a right click wherever you are to do tons of amazing markdown, multi-markdown transformations. Um, and if you're a big multi-markdown user, it's, it's super handy. You can add key commands to those. You know, there's all kinds of stuff you can do. Um, this is really deep nerdery and I don't like to do deep markdown nerdery because I know it's a turn off to some people. But tables have always been a little bit tricky to do in Markdown. And you really want to make sure you've got scripts and tools that will help you with this because if you try to do it just visually, it's not very pretty to make tables in Markdown and HTML tables. But basically in Markdown, you can create HTML tables by using things like pipes, um, dashes, um, and what are the other things you use? Pipes, dashes, colons. And you can basically create an ASCII, pretty looking ASCII table um, that will then transform into an HTML table. So he's added a couple really neat new things to his Markdown tools. Uh, one of them is this, this service that will take formatted text where you could basically do CSV style formatting and then use things like a greater, this is super nerdy, I apologize. But if you want to make a big, beautiful table and start out with a bunch of data, you can do stuff like even do um, cell spans and stuff like that. You can add a title to it creates this beautiful table. And then he also has a great service in there for cleaning up a table. So if you've made some changes to a table and it doesn't look like a pretty ASCII table in your text document anymore, you just select it and hit cleanup, takes care of it for you. Um, but there are, there are tons of really cool, really handy things in here. Um, trying to think of some of the other ones, but anyway, check that out. BrettTerpshire.com. If you like what he does, you can support his work by tithing. You can cross his palm. He's a good man and thorough. Did you see uh, what Bridges is saying? You see Bridges out and about? Uh, no. What, what is Jeff up to? Oh, he's been talking. 
he's not only open to a big Lebowski sequel, yeah. he thinks there should probably be two. And he's into it. I Okay, I read something. I'm trying to remember where I saw it, like a, a, over the weekend. You know, you're, you're removed from the internet a little bit and a lot happens. And then you come back and you try to get caught up. Yeah. Okay, this is the one I saw in The Independent. This is what I sort of glanced at. And it says, Jeff Bridges, more than happy to play the dude again yeah. in the Big Lebowski sequel. But that, I feel like he's happy to do it great, but that I mean, it would have to come from the brothers. Yeah, I agree. It can't come from him. It has to come, the brothers have to be the one to initiate the conversation. I feel like they don't want, and the fact, and this is what makes me nervous about this kind of thing, is that, if it doesn't, like, let's say, let here's the scenario that I fear. The Coen brothers on, uh, you know, that morning just finished the new script. They set it down. They looked at each other. They toasted each other with their cups of coffee. They've been up 72 hours just writing, finishing this thing. They're pleased with it. They think this could work after all these years. They're ready to revisit it. Then they go, they take a nap. They wake up and across their screen, the independent, and they've got a quote now from Jeff saying, yeah, I'd like to do it. They go back, tear up the script. And we'll never see it. That's how they roll. They're you like, you know that. what I mean? That I the do. fact that this came out now, they can't do it because it won't look like it came from them. It won't look like it's their thing. F it. They're done. They're out. This and is they, the kind they're, of they're notoriously, they're notoriously tight lipped, um, about their projects and in general. And I think the big Lebowski in particular, they, they do very little to feed the cult of uh the big lebowski um which i you know i can understand that you know it's uh it's a movie they made and they don't necessarily want to be doing the uh nostalgia circuit for the rest of their lives talking about something they made in the 90s well you know we were it's interesting that you bring this up we uh just recently bought the force awakens to watch at home and uh and my son saw it with me in the movie theater you know like that sat early that saturday morning and uh, we we finally got it at the home to watch, and we were watching it. And we actually were watching it this morning, and my wife had never really seen it before, and was watching it and very into it and really enjoying it. Really, just and she was marveling at how J.J. Uh, Abrams just absolutely nailed all of the great feelings that when we talked about this when the movie came out of of just recreating everything good about the star Wars that we people who are in their thirties, forties and up grew up with. Mm -hmm. And, and she just said, what, what happened to those other three movies? They were terrible. And I felt nothing about any of the characters. I didn't care about the movie. I didn't know. She liked it. If it's possible, she liked it less than I did. And I said, you know, this, that's because, uh, this was done by JJ uh, Abrams and he's from like our generation and gets our sensibilities and, and was involved and deeply involved. It was his baby in a lot of ways. And she said, God, who did the other three? I said, <laughs> Lucas did the other three. She's like, Luke, that's what I thought, but I couldn't believe it. Right. Right. You know, because it was so, but he didn't, Lucas didn't want to revisit in the same way, this thing that he did when he was, whatever, 30 years old or whatever. He didn't want to go back to that time and recreate that thing. He wanted to do something new. But that's not what we wanted. We, we who, for whom that movie became part of our childhood, of our, you know, young adulthood, of our growing up, where it's something that is important and nostalgic and beloved, he didn't want to do that. I don't want to do the same crap that I did when I was 20. 
You know, right. I, I, I'm done with that crap. Now I'm doing this other stuff. It's better. See, it's better. But I think for J.J. Abrams and the people who are involved with the new movies, I think for them, it's they're doing it for the first time in the pro- part of the creation as opposed to the consuming part. So, of course, they want it like that. And I think the Coen brothers uh, are, are very much like that, too, when it comes to like they they did that thing. They did a thing and it was called Raising Arizona. Now that that's they did that. They're doing something else now. They did the Big Lebowski, and no matter how bad we want it or Jeff Bridges wants it, like that was a thing they did then, and they're done with it. And and that's why I was so surprised that they let Fargo become a, a TV series. And it's, and then it turned it turned out so, so good, so good, so good. I mean, I loved them both, but I thought the second season was really special. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, no, you're right. I remember I was probably in maybe high school the first time I ever heard a now famous cliche, which is, you know, can you imagine Mick Jagger going out on tour and singing Satisfaction, a song that was written when he was, what, maybe 20, 21, 22. Wow. Yeah. I remember first hearing that in high school, which would make that 30 years ago that I heard that. That was something about he, that was something he'd been doing for 20 years at the time that that remark was made. And now it's been a total of 50 years since then. So I totally get that. I mean, you know, I mean, imagine the, like, the two days that you spend recording a song and that becomes the thing you're known for for the rest of your know, life, for I better know. or for worse. And imagine that was something you did when you were 19. <laughs> right. That was, it wasn't the song. It wasn't like you sat there penning that song for years, tweaking it, working on it like Hemingway. It was like, there was one of many songs on the album, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I first heard it in the opening scene of the movie Starman, 1984, speaking of Jeff Bridges. That was oh, the, f- I mean, I'm sure I had heard the song before it on the radio or something, but that was the first time that I was consciously like, wow, cool use of this song that I think I've heard before. All right. That's that song. And it was just this really cool intro sequence where they show, I think it's Voyager or Voyager two, uh, kind of communicating with the, uh, with the race of aliens from which Jeff Bridges reanimated. Oh, they're responding to the, the, the Voyager record. Two. Yeah. The gold That's funny. disc. Syracuse and I were talking about this uh, this week. How strange that plaque is that they put on the Viking. Yeah, the gold like, phonograph. Like, what is this? What is this supposed to be? Like, if you're from Earth, you would not understand. That's what this right. Thing means. It's 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 the most <laughs> the golden record. It's the most bizarre thing. Oh, I ever. get it. Those are are those hydrogen atoms? Is that water or boobs? What is that drawing? That's really strange. And, and then the, the oh, there's two the, naked people standing next to the ship. What? <laughs> But yet, and I think almost in a way, like it's supposed to be communicated in that way. It's supposed to be something that only highly advanced civilizations would even be able to get close to understanding. Well, unless they're so highly evolved that, as Syracuse said, unless they're so highly evolved that they don't have something like our primitive eyes. Right. Like what if they experience the matter that we experience on a completely different level? Right. But, you know, it's a game effort, and we introduced them to uh, Chuck Berry. So nothing wrong with that. <laughs> it's also featured in the movie Night Shift, you might remember. With remember, uh, Bill Blazajowski? Radical, Chuck. Radical. You know, feed, the tu- feed, f- feed the mayonnaise to the tuna fish. Memo to Starkist. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love that movie. I saw that so many times. So it was and on, like, HBO or Showtime. Yeah, it was like, an, H- it was an HBO staple of just all the time, always on. And I watched it and I didn't really get what a pimp was and really right. comprehend the whole seemed like they were helping these pretty ladies, you know, you which, get to see Shelly long in her underwear. And that was enough. That's enough for me today. Yes. It's a really, that's a very good point. 
So we can highly recommend uh, the Rolling Stones. Uh, I we don't need to do this at length, but as I find uh, new tumblers that I think you would like, I add them to notes. So there's a couple new ones Ooh. this week. I've been I've been uh, diving deep into the sci-fi stuff and some old like 60s, especially like 60s fashion and just like cool looking 60s London swinging London. So I added one called Dig the 60s that's really good, and another one called Retro Sci-Fi that are really good. You should check those out. Um, this might be a good juncture for you if if you're so inclined to tell me about something that you like. Oh, sure. I can tell you a little bit about a company called Squarespace. 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 They make, uh, make it easy for you to make websites. The sites that you make will look professionally designed regardless of your skill level. No coding required. If you happen to code, if you happen to be a developer, you can get in there, dig around and do pretty much whatever you want. But for most of us, even people like Merlin and I who used to code this kind of thing by hand, you don't have to anymore. They've built incredibly intuitive, easy to use tools that make the creation, management and management of a website. That's the whole thing people forget. They think building a website is just about getting the right design or just about launching it. It's not. It's about you're going to live with this site for a very long time. What happens when the logo changes? What happens when your mission statement needs to change? What happens when employees that are working there uh, change or when you add new ones? What about when you want to update your contact information? All of these things. What about if you're doing a series of YouTube videos and you want to link them up really easily or you're making podcasts or whatever it is, you just want a new look and feel. Squarespace makes this stuff easy to do in an ongoing basis. It's not just creating the website. It's what happens in six months when the client that you're working with or when your sister who's running the site for you or when you and you're too busy building your iOS app want to make a change. You don't have to worry about it. It's all there. The tools for managing and updating content are there. They're even giving you a free domain name if you sign up for a year. So you can start your free trial site today by going to this special URL they've created, squarespace.com slash back to work. Share that. Use that when you're signing up. Share it with your, uh, with, your, with your clients, your customers, your friends, your family when they want to start a site and they say, what do I do? How do I do it? Make me a site. No, let Squarespace make you a site. Squarespace.com slash back to work. And when you sign up, use the code, it's your show, all one word, it's your show, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you, Squarespace. Buck, buck. Yeah, I want to underscore one thing you said, which is make sure that you remember that even if it's not perfect for you today, remember that it's probably perfect for somebody. Right. You know, make sure you and your friends get out of the webmaster business and they'll do it all for you. You can go in, they can help you get a domain name. You don't have to deal with all that DNS nonsense. They can help you with all that stuff, get it all set up the way you want. And if you just want to go in and tweak a word on a page, you don't have to call some guy in a basement. It's uh, they can just, they can run with that. I'm just an idea. Guy. Yeah, I mean, it's their thing. Yeah. Six one, half dozen of another. Other things. Um, oh, I guess we should probably let people know. Um, I mean, in fairness, if you're writing and, and you want your author to be on the show, it can't be somebody who has the same first name as us. No, I mean, that's a very, that's a very critical. I mean, yeah. it makes me uncomfortable. It makes me a little, uh, a little worried. A little if there's bit anything nervous. that could be confusing. So if you, I don't care how good an author <laughs> it is, if the guy's name is Dan, he can't be on the show because right. it would be too confusing. <laughs> And Did we'll, you like we'll, that? And I, well, that was for I, I you. Did, and I agreed with you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was already confused right in the email. Wait, who is this? What? What? <laughs> uh, I wanted to go further with it, but. No, no, no. That, I, mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Because, you know, they're not, they're, they're going to think we're just being mean. Yeah. 
Because they don't, I mean, this is the irony of it. We're all sitting here in our, in our own little tubes, not paying any attention to each other. They don't know they're being jackasses. No, they really don't know it. Big fans, though. Yeah, I mean, they're, um, they're very, very big fans. They're deeply oh familiar with our work so and the show. The and... work and the show. Oh, my gosh. Just thank, thank you so much, you guys. It means so much to me to hear those. It's kind words. Yeah. Uh, so, um... We could talk about updates. Uh, is this too trying? Is this too dull to talk about these things? The the uh, updates to task management and stuff like that? No, I think it's on point for us because I think it's something that's evolving. It changes. The way we think about it changes. The tools that are available change. And there, there are sort of different approaches that seem to come into vogue and out of vogue. So I think it's appropriate. And I think that will add to the lifetime of this episode into the far future. Mm, Starman. Mm-hmm. 1984. 1984. Directed that was by John a big Carpenter. year. A big year for movies. Huge year. That's back when the Ghostbusters were still men. Remember how weird that was? Yeah. Why were they all men? Did you have you seen it yet? Did you go yet? No. Oh. It was good. It's really good. Oh, I saw it twice. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, it's really funny. Paul Feig, it's, it's made me really, really... Take two. It's made me really <laughs> re-appreciate Paul Feig and his sense of humor. Um... So, like, I have to say Bridesmaids is one of my favorite comedies of, like, the last decade. I think it's amazing. Um, and I, I ended up really liking Spy. So, I mean, I went back and watched Spy again after I'd seen Ghostbusters twice, and I thought it was a lot funnier. And I, I figured out, I think, why his movies, partly why his movies are so funny. He has this running, like, great cast of people that he reuses, sometimes in main roles, as with Melissa McCarthy, but also in minor roles. Like, Melissa McCarthy's husband always has a role. He's always very funny. He's the guy who's the air marshal in, um, oh, right. you know, <laughs> <laughs> she, could, she could hide a gun back there and get it out. <laughs> Feel the heat coming off. Oh, man. <laughs> so good. Uh, great cast. Um, but he does. He has, I, I went and I explored some of the behind the scenes stuff and the, the cast in Spy in particular. So fun. Rose Byrne, National Treasure. You got Jude Law. You got Jason Statham. Is that his name? Who's always like the, the tough guy. He's like the, the 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 bald, angry, tough guy. Oh yeah, yeah. Agent killer in movies. He's in it playing that type of role, but like not against type, like super two type. Like, have you seen Spy? Have you seen the movie? No. Okay. All right. Well, but then I went and I watched some of the behind the scenes stuff, and there's something that he does in Ghostbusters. There's something he does. He, there's this funny thing where if you're not paying close attention, you can miss lots of very funny lines because there are lines that go by so fast. Partly because they have to cut away because the people started laughing because they were improvised or nearly improvised lines. They cut, sometimes they're very quiet and they have to cut away fast. But on a second watch, something like Spy, you realize how, how very, very funny it is. And one of the behind the scenes things is, so they'll do a take, you know, with the script. And they'll do a take and it'll be really, really funny. And then you'll hear, they'll keep running and you hear Paul Feig in the background. He says, okay, um, this time instead say... Like this very, and, and everybody dies because it's this new line. It's a completely new twist on the scene. They're utterly unprepared. They have to memorize it on the spot and say it without laughing. And Jason Statham in particular, he just dies every time. He dies laughing because these lines, he's trying to prove that like how hardcore he is, all the things that he's done. He's, eat, he's eating enough micro, microchips to poop out a computer, like all these great lines. But um, I think those are very funny American comedies. The work of Paul Feig, highly recommended. Paul Feig. A fig. And he always wears a uh, suit and tie. 
He did. He you did know, the freaks and geeks. Thing. He did the freaks and geeks. That's his thing. He always wears a suit and tie because he, he feels, talked about this on the Jesse Thorne show. Yeah, it sets a uh, it sets a, a, a sort of a precedent, and other people they know what to expect of him. It it makes it formal. I like that. I approve. Yeah, you know who you know. I bet likes that. Who's that? John Roderick. He's into his suits. It seems I see a lot of photos of him in in suits. Well, he he. I think he um he laments the formalization of men's fashion. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you can persuade him to talk about it. I'll try. Got to really, really loosen him up, though. Yeah. Hard to get an opinion out of John. I yeah, know. He's very sort of tight-lipped about most he's like, he's like a vault. Very, yeah. It's hard to, hard to get his opinions out. Yeah. Well, let's see. I'm trying to avoid making this another death march through the last 12 years of productivity. But, <laughs> because, um, because God knows we, we don't have enough of that. Well, yeah. Everybody loves that. People love the productivity talk. They do. I guess I guess I, I could break this down into a few epochs, um, and I did not prepare for this. But I think about the epoch of the paper planner, where for let's just talk about in the more or less contemporary age of productivity, the post in nineteen eighties and beyond. There was there's a big people have always had calendars and things like that, but there was a big push. I'm going to say in the mid eighties, where you started having the day timer, the day runner, the Franklin planner. Mm-hmm. And there were all these, um, I think, mostly very clever paper-based systems for handling your calendar and your tasks. And many of them reflected, I don't know who to credit with this idea, but it it reflected a very important, really, sea change in how we thought about personal and professional productivity, where it's, it's around the time, if you wanted to put it this way, you could just say, instead of working harder, work smarter, or work harder, work harder and work smarter would be my way to put it. But, um, you know, there was a time when it was thought, okay, if you make a list of stuff you have to do today, that might really be sufficient. If you're a professional, professional person and a knowledge worker, you make a list of stuff and you do it. But more and more, I think probably Stephen Covey got a lot of credit for this, but more of this idea of saying, like, what are things that, that are very important to do, whether or not they are urgent? Eventually, you saw emerging systems that came into this idea of A task, B tasks, and C tasks. But in a nut, the idea became, well, heck, if you have stuff to do, you better write it down someplace, always in the same place. If you have, you know, calendar events, repeating meetings, you need to like refer to that. Look at what's coming up. What do you have to prepare for? I think these are all fantastic patterns. And in the world of task management, it became very much about like having a daily to-do list that you could look at alongside various notes and calendars. And all the way down to, I remember I finally cobbled some dough together, summer of 89, and I bought a, a day runner. Do you remember those? A day runner was like a, was it one of the sort of special, it had a zipper. It had like a, a day runner had, it was like kind of squarish. And it was leather like usually, yeah. Yeah, but and it had a Velcro the, cover okay. and inside were tabs and you could have any kind of calendar you wanted. You could buy all these different packs. It was, it was total productivity porn and I loved it more. than It cost like $45, which is a huge amount of money for me in 1989. I remember going downtown, Sarasota, I bought this thing and I loved it so much. It had planning pages. Um, you could get a little hole punch and make your own pages. And it was, it was addictive for me, but you know, and I loved that thing. Um, I eventually, uh, when I got my jobby job with Dave... The marketing manager, I got a, uh, a day timer, which was better for stuff like tracking my billable time. But those are all, and then there are people, Franklin Covey, like went way beyond being just a planner. You know, that became like a whole school of thought where you could take classes about how to use this thing, you know, and there's, and forgive me, I know there's many, many others that lots of people still use to this day, but that was when you kind of agreed that was the trend for years. 
um, planning, uh, calendar, tasks, and how you how you sort of track your time for billable hours and stuff. So it was all about paper planners, right? I mean, everything was at that time, I think, a process of writing it down, keeping it with you, having an easy way to organize it, because we didn't even have the Palm Pilot. We didn't have anything computerized at all, right? And we- uh, to- totally true. But also on, on top of that, I mean, for example, at the place where I work, because we work with attorneys, everything we did was in billable hours. Um, you really wanted to have those billable hours on there and you hated having to put the word admin in there because it was admin time. But, you know, so for us, we did eventually get a Mac app called uh, Time Tracker, Timekeeper, Task master this network this really janky networked app for tracking our time but you would never enter that into the app because it could crash right or it could the, the database might go down or, or whatever you would always do that so i mean basically this was the best practice in my office where, where i work was you would with a pencil or pen you would sit there in your day uh, timer and you would use horizontal lines to say when you started and stopped something in between you use the four-letter code for what the project was and then you did uh, hours point and then a quarter of an hour. So like I worked 4.25 hours on this for this and then a note on what you were doing. But, you know, you would never entrust that to a, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to make this overly dramatic, but right. in 1991, you would never in a million years, that would be like typing straight into the FileMaker database. Like, what are you, see? <laughs> right. Somebody quits that without closing it, the whole network's going to go down. Um, so that became, I mean, it was a very, um, the the paper was where it's at and you always had to be able to show your work because if a client contested a bill you know and we're talking about you know hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in billings and you would have to be able to go out and say like okay this is when i said i worked you can't just put a big eight on the page and say i worked eight hours boom you have to be able to say like what you were working on. i was summarizing depositions so uh i guess what i'm trying to say is this is before electronic stuff this is even before the janky and unreliable sinking of your palm right right um so then what? And that's kind of where things stood for a while. Like what came along? Outlook. Outlook was a game changer for a lot of people, right? There are a lot of people who, that became their power app. They had to use Outlook for work and they found ways to bend it to their will. Outlook was great at being able to do stuff like, Outlook I think, I don't know if it's still this way. It was always the best app I ever knew of for how you wanted to look at your mail right now. Like you could just really sort and filter to see just the stuff you really wanted to see. But isn't what what was the first thing you remember being an electronic way of tracking tasks? Gosh, I'm I was trying to when you it's funny because I was trying to think of that when you suggested this. I cannot for the life of me remember anything before Outlook and that time period. I mean, I certainly remember doing tons of stuff with Microsoft Project. And I remember when I made the switch to working, doing, you know, working at home, working for myself, running my own little business, coming from a job where I was doing a lot of, I guess what today we would call project and product management stuff, where I was balancing a lot of schedules and working with different developers and making sure things would happen on time. At work on the PCs and the Windows machines, I was always using Microsoft Project. And I've got to say, that app at the time, that was a big deal. That was a huge, huge app for me. That would, if you didn't have that, that would be like a plumber showing up without a wrench. Really was. It was, I mean, whether or not you liked using that app, whether it was effective, you had to be <clears throat> comfortable and good at using 
project in order to be taken seriously as a project manager. You really did. You really did. And I mean, and even, even though the Gantt chart was basically dead by close of business every day in most <laughs> software companies, right. like, oh, great. I got to go update that again. Right. You, you had to be able to do that. You had to be able to produce these things, these documents to show that you're an actual project manager. That's right. And I, I don't know. I can't remember an application that I spent a lot of time in before that. Uh, because at home, like you, on the Mac, like for email, I was using Eudora in this time period, probably. <clears throat> yeah, and on the Mac, it wasn't until Entourage that I remember that you got these things in one place. You, Outlook Express, which I think came... Outlook, Outlook Express was for that, but Outlook Express was the first thing I remember being a Microsoft... I could be wrong, but that's what I, the first Microsoft email app I remember having on a Mac. I, I'd been all Eudora before that. <clears throat> Eudora had had kind of a troubled time where after being the, the go-to app, I mean, for many people, Eudora, probably to this day, you'll still remember as your favorite email app because it was great at so many things. At a time when it needed to just be okay, it was extremely good. Mm. Um, I mean, just, just the, one of the marquee features to me was it would keep all your mail from one person in the same window. Not just the same folder, right? But when I got an email from Dennis, it would go do do do, and this window would open up, and all of our entire exchange would be in there. That stuff was great. Then they broke it off into two things. They had an ad based one and a pay one, and the ad based one just basically had a, a run of network banner ad in it, and it was really gross. <laughs> but and you know, I'm trying to think because one thing about project though is project. Um, I haven't done project management in a while, but project management is a dark art. It's, it's a very difficult job, not least because most people don't know what it is and don't particularly respect it. It feels like a nice to have, but I found it one of the most challenging jobs I've ever had. It was struggling with project management that led me to start 43 folders because I'd never been so much on my own to be the connector between all of these different people. The thing is though, Project, you know, Microsoft Project to me seems better as a planning tool than a tactical tool, because first of all, it is really about these big being able to visualize the impact of various decisions on a big project and then to basically get a template uh, for who needs to do what with that. With the, the bottom line to me being the project is more about tracking other people's tasks more than your own. Do you know sure. what I mean? Yeah. Because everybody goes off and does their thing and right. mostly, I think classically with project, would go off and do their own. You go meet with the project manager, they update the progress on those things. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't have enough experience to say. But And there were other ones. There was a really pretty one for the Mac. But they were all, you know, they were all about like making diagrams. And like, it just felt really weird given how mercurial the actual atmosphere of making software was. I'm going to say the first app I used for task management, and feel free to correct me if anybody could think of a different one I've mentioned, but Entourage. So like in whatever that was, the what would that be? 2001, 2002, 2003? Yeah, it was, it was in definitely in the 2000s. Well, it was when they had the, the funky purple E icon. It was after Microsoft had redone all their icons to be the super weird like jelly shapes. And I remember using that. And as I said, uh, ad nauseum on here, it was, it was a, a, such an amazing app because, well, first of all, it was, it was a very unstable app because it would create this one giant, it wasn't even a folder. It would create this one file that was like, corpus already of I'm data, nervous. I'm already corpus nervous. Of, corpus of data dot entourage. <laughs> and it cre could create like this two gig file where if anything went wrong, the entire, everything uh. you had would just go to poop. But, um, but it did have task management. It had the ability to do attach things to other things. 
And I feel like I remember that being that's entourage. I'm, I'm might be overstating the importance of this, except to me, it was very important because it showed me that there is or should be a way to manage your stuff, your increasingly electronic stuff on a computer, right? So let's go back again. So you got a paper planner because you're going to meetings. Um, you've got, you know, various documents you can stick into a binder. But by 2002, in my case, most of what I did was happening in email. Uh, it was happening on the web to some extent, but it was more and more moving into this electronic realm where having a paper document was not that helpful, especially if I had to share it with other people. It was just, it was just adding layers. So I think Entourage was the first one. And the reason I say that's important is because it was uh, loving Entourage to some extent, but struggling with Entourage that was part of my impetus for uh, what became the 43 folders angle, this whole getting things done thing. Like how how do I electronically keep all of this stuff wired together? How much should I be doing electronically? How much can I be doing? And, you know, and a fairly new idea at the time, what about collaboration right. with other people? This is around the time 37 Signals first, very first came out. And so what was their first big one? It was before Backpack. What was their, their project app? What was that called? I'm trying um, to remember. Oh, come on. It was huge. Um, Basecamp? Basecamp. Okay. I thought there was... Uh... But to quote Mike Montero, Basecamp works really great as long as you think exactly like Jason Freed. Yeah, <laughs> but it was it was cool. But you know, well, again, the interesting was, they built the Rails framework as part of building Basecamp, and so their real legacy is uh, DHH's Rails work. Really, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, Basecamp is is still their thing, and I spent a lot of time using it. But I think that's a great Montero quote. It's a very true quote. But it's good, the, the, you know, it's really good for what it is, but you know, you do have to really think and work a certain way, have this much amount of, you know, working with you know people in the room versus this much working remotely versus like, I mean, how often do you want to keep uploading ping files, you right. know, but yeah, I'm going to say entourage was when it started. And, and again, just to get back to this, my continual 43 folders angle, my struggle was I was trying to figure out how to implement a getting things done not a getting things done like system, how to do getting things done on a Mac. Cause there, there was nothing out there for that. I believe me, I looked and there was not a resource out there for taking not only just the philosophy and the best practices, but the implementation details to do getting things done. Right. There are certain things that are extremely helpful and above, above all the thing that, I mean, David Allen would, would historically disagree with this, I think, but the thing that I found most challenging was a way to be able to look at look at the look at my work in terms of projects and in terms of contexts, mm-hmm. because that's such an important concept in in GTD. David Allen says, "Hey, you need a list of current projects, and then you need a list of tasks broken out by context. Boom, that's all you need. You can do this with like two pieces of paper, which is really true. But that's that's where the where it came from for me. That that's where I started to look look more and more at what my options were. This is where Ethan Schoonover came up with this thing that you know came to be called OmniFocus." Um, where he, he had just done a whole bunch. He was a photographer who just needed a way to do GTD. So he had a bunch of Apple scripts that basically allowed you to have these tasks that you could look at in terms of projects or contexts, and you could flip between the two. And it was, you know, magnificent. Other stuff around that time. I mean, I, I don't know. that Things really kicked off after that, but eventually there was quite a land grab in this. I think, I think OmniFocus had a, had a huge impact on, on that because that they really showed alongside things to some extent. These are two apps that really showed people that you, know, you could take this stuff seriously on a Mac. I think that was a big turning point because you know the, the old thing, and people might not even remember this because Macs are everywhere now, but there was this big 
you know, Macs are for creative people, PCs and Windows, that's for people who are like doing work. So the fact that you were kind of pushing the envelope on that, I think back then probably made made a big difference for a lot of people. It, it did. I mean, I, I say this without, hopefully without too much conceit, is that um, there's a couple of things that I had an influence in. And I, I think one of them was that there were these two, and you know, again, I'm, I'm with you. It's It's hard to say this and have it not sound silly. But there was a time in, let's call it 2004, early 2004, there was a time where being on a Mac was still very weird. Oh, yeah. This was also a time where people had not widely heard about getting things done. So you're not just trying to do, put two things together. You're trying to put together two things that most people didn't know about and didn't care about. Right. And so that was a niche that I was able to help fill. And, you know, my own struggles with that and my own occasional triumphs with that, that helps some people. But, um, you know, and so I, I, back then I would look at everything. I mean, remember the milk and things, and I can't even remember them all right now, but basically there was this by what, 2006, 2007. I remember that remember the milk deal. Remember the milk was really cool because I think it's kind of the way to doist works now. Remember the milk was just, it was basically an, it was a big API with a website where you could make whatever you wanted to, to, um, you can almost kind of build your own productivity system, but it was really cool. It was well done, but I'm, I'm dragging this out more than I need to. I guess I just wanted to say that like, it didn't always used to be that you even had an option for this stuff. And I really feel like it probably took three to five years just to shake out what people actually wanted this stuff to be able to do. I mean, I've gone in and seen the Omni group forums. I've seen the banana stuff that people request of OmniFocus to which they are, I think to their credit, often saying like, no, that's, that's not a thing we're ever going to do where you're not going to be able to do yeah, that's that's too much stuff. You're trying to do too much stuff with this. Like, go do your work. But that was the landscape, and and I, I worked with Omni Group a little bit on the Omni Focus product, and uh, I still use it today. Like I said at the top, this is not going to be a survey of every available to do <laughs> app. It's going to be talking about how these things have changed. So I want to hear your update. I'll give you mine. Uh, you know, by by the time my daughter was born, uh, I was very heavily. I want to say, yeah, that has to be right. Um, I think that's when OmniFocus was really, I, I'm terrible with dates, but OmniFocus is where I would go for almost everything. And I really, it really worked with the way that my mind thinks and operates in a GTD-like way. Yeah. The idea of projects and context, the idea of start and due dates, the idea of flags, the idea of um, perspectives to be able to see just a certain view. I mean, that's, that's all stuff that I still use several times every day. Um, and so... As the modern age of productivity dawned, where did you find yourself? Were you doing a lot of stuff with bug trackers? Were you using a piece of paper? Yes. I mean, it it was all bug trackers for me because, and there are so many, I can't even remember. There was one called Fog Bugs. Ever heard of Fog Bugs? Yeah, that's uh, Joel Joel, uh, Spolsky. uh, Yeah. And he, he did that. And there was other competitors out there like Jira and other things like that. But fog bugs for me, I got really, really, really into that in kind of the mid 2000s time period when I was working with a hosting company, web hosting companies, and we were handling a lot of tickets and we were handling a lot of bug tracks and we were handling a lot of issues and basically you know requests would come in and we would have to assign them and break them down into individual tasks oh this person needs this server well what does that mean how do we deploy that it's these 10 steps and we would you know build it out that way so it it, it was it was a great application but there were so many details and it was not you know i guess there's 
there's almost several different kinds of task management philosophies. One is I'm working on this thing and this is this thing I need for myself, right? I need to create these tasks in this list for myself, things that I need to do. But everything changes so much when you're now working with a team or managing a team or, you know, it's the difference between I want to write this article and here's the things I need to do to get this article done versus I'm managing 10 people and I need to uh, make sure that each of the things that they're doing happen in the right sequence in the right time so that this project as a whole happens. And I think right. the philosophy's got to be similar but different, right? It, it does, and it depends on, I think you're also getting at something very important I hadn't thought of, which is it depends a lot on how many different kinds of work you do, how many different kinds of realms, how many different teams. So, I mean, for example, if, if most of what you do in my case, was writing for a blog. Mm. So I would <laughs> I would need to know about new stuff. I need to think about new stuff. I need to draft new stuff. I might need to talk to people a little bit, but really most of what I need to do is be typing a lot of the time. Whereas if you're managing somebody, I mean, you need a way to be able to, to find out what they're up to, um, communicate with them, mentor them, um, check in on their progress without interrupting them. There's a whole lot of different skills that you need. And so like, how do you find a system that enables you all to do your piece of work without having to disrupt the other pieces, person's piece of work? Right. Isn't that, isn't that, I mean, shouldn't that be part of it? Mm, I think it has to be part of it because that non-disruption is pretty critical. And if you can go in and see, I mean, I, I haven't used bug trackers a lot, but <clears throat> if you can go in and see how many outstanding bugs there are, how many crashers there are, how many showstoppers there are, all that kind of stuff. You can, you, there are ways, I mean, I, you know, you've been to panic. They have big boards that display how all that stuff is going. Yeah. And, and I mean, obviously that has to start with a richness of culture around tr- understanding how to communicate through a, an app, through apps like that. But I, you know, I think that's a big, a big part of it is, you know, Thinking about the thinking about the work that you just can't miss, the stuff you've really got to be doing. Also, then there's the stuff you have to kind of be aware of and keeping track of. And then how do you like become aware of the stuff you would never know that you need to become aware of? When you get to a level of knowledge work and management, you get a lot of um, unknown unknowns. And so what are the what are the means that you put in place for making sure you don't drop balls you didn't know existed? Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put that. Yeah, I like that. And, you know, and I think those tools have kind of been there, but there's also uh, the corollary is that, you know, the old thing about hammers and nails, where if there's a certain app, if you really, really, really like to use Excel, you know, it's shocking how much you can do with Excel if you choose to make that the only app you use. I've seen people use it for painting, (laughs) you know. Oh, right. I, I think I've seen that. Yeah, Dan, Danny O'Brien used to say, you know, every every everybody has their killer app. For for a lot of people, email is their killer app. Uh, for some people, you know, you can you, I don't know. To me, it'd be tough to pick a better power app than uh, Excel because there's so much you can do with it. Um, but everybody's got the thing that they like to use, and they don't want to have to use other stuff. And so, when you're thinking about whether you're working on your own or with teams, you want to find scaffolding and infrastructure that minimally interferes with the stuff that you actually need to do so you can minimize the amount of admin and overhead time. You know, because I mean, how many people today are just managers, especially in software? How many people are there to just manage managers of software? Mm -hmm. Everybody's working on something and you have to have a facility to keep up with what those folks are doing. And so tools have come along to help with that. Um, It's just that I I suspect in both of our cases, I know in mine, um, I'm using a lot fewer things. I'm using a lot fewer things less. And I'm trying to get really good about thinking less about the system and more about what I need to accomplish. 
um, which I think has been a salutary change. Now, why do you, you know, we talk about doing more with less or using that, finding that kind of killer app, but it, there's always new apps that are coming out and they're always trying to tackle the same problem. And I would always read these articles. I still do. I was just like a couple of weeks ago reading something about task managers and project, you know, all these different applications they come out with for this specific thing. And I realized the reason there are so many is because there, there are so many different ways, like you're saying, to kind of attack the problem. There are so many different opinions about it. And you know what? this one person came out with this one app that works kind of like this. And for Merlin, that's, you know, hell on wheels. But for someone else, it's like, whoa, you know, this is, this is yeah, like, that's not how my mind works. Right. And so we now have these different choices. We have these different ways that we can interact with our computers and our brains. And I think there are the solutions that we're finding that exist are the, the reason there's so many apps are because there's so many different ways to approach it. And there isn't like a wrong way. And whenever I read these like head to heads, like compare your, you know, our select for the greatest I've been using to do applications and for 10 years. And this is our pick for the best one for 2015. Like, how can you, how can you say that you can't really compare it feature by feature because there's tons of features that one person will never touch and that to another person are absolutely critical features. So how can you put these kinds right. of, it's not like you're comparing, uh, and maybe this is a bad example too, but it's not like you're comparing like Pixelmator versus Acorn versus Photoshop because they kind of all live in the same space, but the kinds of things that you do with these apps, even there within those is hugely different. Are you retouching a photo? Or are you creating art from scratch? You know? Yeah. yeah. And, and And I think that, you know, it's so tough to compare these that there could be people listening now being like, these guys don't know what they're talking about. Well, that just means you work in a slightly different way. Well, and the truth is I don't know what I'm talking about because I kind of don't want to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, I mean, because there's several ways to look at it um, that are not mutually exclusive. I mean, a positive way to put it is that it has been demonstrated, well, at least at one time it was, at a time when people still paid for apps, it was demonstrated that there are people who will pay for an app <clears throat> that they enjoy and appreciate and really rely on. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's how eight, that's how think places like Omni Group are able to sell apps for $40 or $80. I mean, they, they charge like an adult company for an app that people really love and, and they support it very well. And then, you know, there's lots of companies that, more some companies <laughs> that do that, but, um, there's, there is, so I guess what I'm saying is it has been shown that there is a demand for new apps and there, or for new ways of thinking about how you use that app. I'm trying to keep this positive. Right. Um, that has been demonstrated. Uh, the truth is, like you say, I mean, everybody's got their own way that they like to do things and everybody's got things that drive them nuts about all, everything that's available. And there has been a demonstrated willingness amongst people to try new things. And so that's, that's all positive. The cynical part I'll toss in is that because it's been demonstrated that this is a market, you could put out some, some pretty janky, not that well put together apps and then abandon it after six months. Yeah. And you still get to keep the two ninety nine or whatever you charged. You know, um, it's, it's a separate argument to talk about what a tough time it is to make a high quality app. But the other part of it in, in all candor is that there are always going to be people that think that their work will get better if they can improve their system or conversely that the reason their work is not where they want it to be is because they haven't found the right system yet. And there's an entire industry or series of industries that are based on that. 
Mm. I mean, there's not that many people who buy self magazine because they feel great about who they are. There's something, there's this keening desire to get better at something, whether that's bulking up or whether that's, um, you know, learning more about your Linux box or whatever it is. There's this, this hunger to become more knowledgeable about this thing where you feel there's an impediment to being where you'd like to be. It, you know, it's, it's why, you know, back in the day, I mean, you could have something like Mac user and Mac world and Mac week because people who bought a new Mac were like, ah, what do I do? I need an, I need a magazine to explain this to me. And I think with almost uniquely apart from games, almost uniquely with apps for productivity, task tracking calendars, there's almost always going to be a market for people who will at least look at it mm-hmm. to give it a try and see if it fits them better. Calendar apps is, is an interesting example because all calendar apps kind of, kind of do the same thing. There's a, an event that happens at a time on this day. And everything else is style, fashion, and UX, right? I mean, that's not entirely true. I mean, you might want, oh, this one lets me have three alarms rather than two. But the truth is every calendar does the same thing, which is that you write it down and then hopefully, you know, it remembers that. But then, you know, the truth is, though, having said that, there's so many calendar apps. I, I can't even look. I look at them once and I close it. I'm like, whoa, that, no, no, that's not <laughs> how that should look. Like, you know, there's, there have been apps that I love on the desktop where they make a, like an iOS version. I'm like, yikes, yee, did somebody spill a Pez dispenser in here? Like, what is this? You know, and then there's some like, oh, that one's just a little bit too cool and cute. That one's just a little bit too hip. But, you know, do, do, do you follow what I mean though? Yeah. They're all doing kind of the same thing. It's, it's really like, you know, bookshelves almost <laughs> where you're like, how much are you really going to think about bookshelves? Like they're to hold your books. That's what they're for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's got to fit in the room and it's got to look good next to the TV. And I, I hate blonde wood or whatever. And like, you're going to find all these, these things when like, you know, you can easily lose track of the fact that mostly you should be reading those books wor- rather than worrying about what, what kind of case you're putting them in. But we all have those kinds of, of feelings. It's just that I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the fact that my job's gotten, um, the work that I do is is getting less hard for me to understand. It has yeah, become less yeah. hard for me to understand. Where like you know, where a lot of my need for productivity systems in the past was a lot of self talk in some ways. Where it was like I had to really think through, talk through, work through, plan the steps of things that I was still learning. And now, just this, who knows how long it'll last? But for now, I mostly get what I do. Um, I, I I get the steps. I've done it a lot. And on top of it all, what I'm doing is not that complicated. It's certainly not difficult, <laughs> but it's also not complicated. People who have jobs that are complicated have the need for these kinds of things, especially when you're collaborating. Because as, as well-wired as the leader of the project is, that doesn't change the fact that everybody else has to still keep their stuff together right. and updated. Um, and that's the thing. That's a very, I think you made an excellent point because there is a big part of the aspect of sort of transparency of being able to come up to Merlin and be like, Hey dude, like how are things going? You're like, good, good. We're on track. Okay, cool. Like, can I see what we're doing? Well, I know what it is. I know it's, it's in my head and I know what I'm working on. I know what other people are doing. So like, it's cool. Like we'll, we'll get there. Okay, well, cool. Can I like get a window into that? Yeah. I mean, I can tell you like, what do you want to know? (laughs) Well, that's, that doesn't work. Right. When you're in that situation where you have to share this and you have to share it with your boss or with your other you know your other colleagues where you're all want to look at a document and understand you know where things are going and is it is it scrum where you're taking the post-it notes and moving them around on the on the wall is that is it scrum that does that that might be scrum it could also be retros and stuff like that but it's i you know it's definitely that idea of like collaboratively figuring out how to move this around retros are interesting to me 
I don't know about those. I haven't heard, I've heard the term. <laughs> it's it's an agile about. thing, but yeah, like, uh, yeah, I've worked with people that are, have made great use of those, but yeah, no, you're, you're, yeah, I'm with you. It's, uh, and, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, how we make this useful to a broad number of people, but, um, maybe you should tell me about something you like and I'll, and I'll talk a little bit more about like ways I've like grossly simplified a lot of the stuff that I do Sure. and, and where I think at least for myself, I think there's still room. And maybe we can prognosticate a little bit about where it would be nice to see more improvements with these things um, in the current landscape. Right. Well, I would like to say thank you to Wealthfront. Wealthfront! Wealthfront. They make it easier for you to invest. That's basically the way to think of it. And the trouble with investing is that to get access to the really, really good data, the really, really great services that really understand the markets, really understand what's going on. You need to have a ton of money to invest and a ton meaning like millions or a million or more. And most of us, we don't have that. We might have hundreds, we might have thousands of dollars to invest, but we probably don't have millions of dollars to invest. And so for the longest time, you couldn't even get the attention of a quality financial advisor or a wealth management professional or anybody like that. And even if you did, you were paying at least 1% per year in management fees, which is uh, which really does add up. That's a lot of money. Well, Wealthfront has changed that. They've made it so that uh, you can start with as little as $500. Although they say uh, here in, in my notes that 60000 is the average of the the many, many people that are investing through them. But they charge no trading commissions, and they're completely free for all accounts under $10,000. For accounts larger, their management fee is only 0.25% per year, which is a phenomenal rate. They have the best modern technology with rigorous investment research. They cut out the middleman, and they give everyone sound investment management. This is uh, what they call automated, passive, and low cost. This is the kind of thing you want to put money away. It's not like market timing traders or like short-term things. This is like I'm investing for my future, for my family, uh, for, for down the road. And that's what they specialize in. And they have a special uh, offer for listeners of this program. If you go to wealthfront.com slash five by five, you can go there and they will manage your first $15,000 entirely free of charge for life. So no commissions, no hidden fees, and especially no management fees on the first 15K that you have invested Go check it out. It's at wealthfront.com slash five by five. Please go and check them out and uh, run through their little dingus. They've been very good to us and very supportive. And I would love for you folks to just go uh, go check it out, see what they could do for you. Yeah, go to why not? Got five I was in a lot of commercials today. <laughs> You're not a Bob's Burgers fan. No, That's my Sandy Fry. I, there's two more people who have just told me that they've started watching it and then it's awesome. And then I'm really dumb for not getting on board with it yet. Because burgers go great with fry. <laughs> I was in a lot of commercials today. Um, so, I'm getting pretty good with that, aren't I? Yeah. Getting kind of a little Stuart Copeland or maybe a little bit Neil Park. A little Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Ayn Rand. So, meanwhile, back at the ranch, uh, talking about how things are changing. The times, they are changing. I'm going to talk, some, talk about some uh, big patterns. Okay. Big <clears throat> patterns. Is, um, big, big patterns. Big patterns. <laughs> oh my god i had the worst i had the worst thing happen this weekend oh what? my god what? not the worst thing well you know that horrible thing happened with the hot air balloon yes that was here. Ter- yeah i know it was terrible and i was looking at twitter moments 
and they made reference to that and they the they mentioned that particular aircraft in the headline and yeah. in the body text yeah it's a terrible terrible incident but this is all, all i could think was the thing was they had misspelled it um they, they spelled it with one o and i kept reading it as brian butterfield hot air ballon hot air ballon yeah, that's tough. Saturday is treat day. <laughs> There's not there that what was that on? That was part of something else, right? That was the part Peter of Peter Serafinowitz show. And if you go on YouTube, there are probably 25 of them. There's so many of them. There's, there's Brian Brian Butterfield's uh, sports sports restaurant. Uh, there's his relaxation, his his go to sleep tape, his exercise his exercise uh, his exercise DVD. Dares are really really good. <laughs> There's a okay. show that I just I, I just want to throw in there that you've probably seen and you may have even told me about and I yeah. apologize if I am forgotten that you did accepted. But uh, my wife said, you know what, uh, you need to start watching this. I guess she was watching it sort of uh, during the day over the um, over the the summer break. Uh, An idiot abroad. Oh yeah, that's uh, no wait. Is that Ricky Gervais now? He is. Yes, he is like the. Uh, that's he's he is the creator of the show and he's kind of the uh evil mastermind behind the show but it's the same team as his podcast right yeah i believe it's it him i believe Steven it is and carl yeah right? and this is carl who goes abroad he is the idiot and oh my god it is uh i don't have a lot of exposure i know ricky gervais of course but i don't like i haven't listened to the radio stuff that much but this guy is just it's just fantastic and uh it really the humor is excellent and uh it's it's a show notes that sounds great it's in show notes you can watch it for free if you're a netflix (laughs) subscriber uh and and i highly recommend it it's you know i i always have for some reason i have a lot of hesitation to start a new as you would say a new franchise Oh, me too. I'm me so, too. and people are like, oh, but it's great, and you're gonna love it. I'm like, I, I don't doubt that you're right. I don't doubt that I'll love it, but ugh, I just don't. I don't know. I just can't. And finally, I'll something will happen, and I'll say, I'll, I'll write already. I'll try this thing out. And this is one of those shows that it's so light and funny, and it's easy to watch. It's, it's enjoyable. You laugh, and you don't have to. You, you don't have. It, the amount of mental investment that you need to make is very low for the incredible amount of return that you get from the show. So that's, that's I'm putting, I'm putting on the list, put it on the list. Um, this is a, a very different sort of show, but if you enjoyed speaking of the office, the original UK office, if you enjoyed Mackenzie Crook, um, what's his name? Gareth. Um, he did a wonderful show called detectorists. Have you seen that? No, it's might, that might be a little harder to find, but it's basically about these two guys uh, who use metal detectors to go out and find things. And it's, it's very, it's very sweet and gentle and pastoral. It's funny, but it's, it's, it's very gentle and um, it's very beautifully done. The theme song is fantastic. Um, Detectorist adding that to notes. Also, did you watch Stranger, Stranger Things? Yeah. Yeah, no, I watched, I watched that. Uh, Gosh, I started watching it the day after it came out and yeah. just fell in love with that show. Did you finish it? Yeah. Don't you love that Eleven? Isn't she the best? She's great. God, she's so good. I like, love that actress. She's acting well beyond her years. It's insane. Oh. And she, yeah, just, I, 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 I liked a lot of things about that show. 
I would, what okay. I've been telling people is if you grew up, if you're our age, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. you grew up in that time period. You were very likely the same age as the characters. And it is a wonderful visit to that time to not just seeing them get everything right about that time period, uh, but also uh, not betray the honesty and the feelings that we had about the time period itself. They're not making fun of it. They're not, look at these stupid things that people wore. It's, this is what people wore right. and they're playing it straight. And, you know and the I kids mean? And the kids really felt like how I remember feeling at that yes. age. Yes, and they looked you know, they The, the looked kid right. with the toothless, toothless or whatever his yeah. name is. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's so much somebody I would have known. Oh, totally. All of yeah. the kids were. And the way that they're just riding their bikes all around with no parents around, no one knowing what they're doing. It's like, yes, that would, that's what it was like. You know, the idea that like I would let my eight, almost nine year old son like walk around on a, riding his bike just somewhere no but back then like of course that's what we bought you you the bike for i want you download a bike simulator (laughs) right and uh and and so you know we so that it's a window into that time for people who were not alive then but one of the things that i just really appreciated that you see very much in the very very first episode and i'm not giving anything away is uh is is people now today sort of glamorize the 80s and i think the kind of hipster culture looks back on the eighties as this kind of really like this source of, th- but there was a lot of clothing in the eighties. that was really just not good. And they, they show that without making fun of it, but like the whole opening sequence and, and the way that that was put together, that was the same folks that did the Mad Men intro, by the way, they do lots of intros. And, uh, and I think it's called imaginary forces is the name of the company that, that, that makes these intros, but they totally nailed it. You're not sure. Is it a Stephen King book? That's it though. Book that, it nails, it's like, film? it's like, it's, if you love Stephen King stuff, if you're like reading, you know, night shift or whatever you like, you like Stephen King stuff. Yeah. You like Steven Spielberg stuff. You like John Carpenter stuff. There's like, and so there's this widely passed around Vimeo video where they do side by side shots of like, Oh, look how much this looks like alien. But, <clears throat> and that bugs some people, but I loved it. I thought it was very affectionate. I didn't think it was too clever. And I was genuinely curious the whole time about what, like what was actually going on. You know, uh, uh, yeah, I loved it. I, I loved enjoyed it. it. It's not not for everybody, but I, I think it was really quite good. We got to we got to wrap this up. <clears throat> um, sure, is it okay to continue? Yeah, please. Oh, we got that was that was me. That was my impersonation of myself. That was you. <laughs> yeah, that's what I sound like. It's not. It's really <laughs> not. no. <laughs> Um, so things that have changed. Well, I still use OmniFocus a lot and I would still go really far out of my way for a long time to think about this kind of uh, bridges back to this idea of like using one thing as much as possible, which I think is a good idea. Like I think not having an unnecessarily large number of different systems is a good pattern. I mean, not having multiple, minimizing the number of inboxes, good idea, Mm -hmm. lots of good places, but you do still need places where, you know, the same way we, I always come back to that analogy of your house and how certain how certain rooms in your house have a certain purpose. Certain drawers in your kitchen have a certain purpose. And a great part of not feeling like a crazy person is knowing what goes in what drawer and where new stuff will and won't appear. I still think that's smart. But I no longer, I mean, there's a time where I got to like almost treating OmniFocus like Emacs, where I was like, oh God, is there more stuff I can do with this? Can I jam more things in here? And I don't do that anymore. Uh, a lot of the nerdery 
used to be around things like, how do I get things from one place to another? How do I get things synced? I'm happy to say so many of these things that used to be so fiddly are now solved problems. There are now iOS extensions. Let me put all kinds of stuff into OmniFocus or, or other places for that matter. In prepping for the show today, I was sending emails from Spark, not Spark, what's the app I use? Spark? Whatever that, that one email app. Sending those into the Notes app. Hey, what and are I, you using? What app are you using? Uh, I think it's called Spark. I don't have my phone nearby. Uh, do you do phone? quick quick question? Do you do Spark. most of your email from your phone, your iPad, or a computer? The most important email I wor- email work that I do every day is when the previous day's snoozed email shows up at ten twenty, and then I snooze it to tomorrow. And I can do that on almost all my devices. Mm-hmm. iOS is very good at snoozing my email. That's what I mainly do with email. Now, to actually get stuff accomplished, I really prefer to be on a Mac. I, I'd like to say otherwise. Um, I've got some very capable iOS devices, but mm-hmm. <clears throat> to still to get anything really accomplished in a way that makes sense to me, I still prefer to do it on a Mac. I agree. Yeah, that, that does, yes, totally the same. And that your answer does not surprise me. Well, you know, and the other thing is, if I if I if I answer somebody's email. Well, first of all, if you answer somebody's email, they're probably going to send you another email. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Let's set that aside for a minute. But if I do that from my phone, it's going to be probably a fairly short answer. It might have typos in it. I might not have thought it out and written it as clearly as I could because I just want to get back to my life. And so that kind of encourages, that increases the chance people are going to need to email me again if I haven't given a complete and well thought out response, which I think I'm much more likely to do with a big keyboard on my Mac. I don't have a political position on that. It's just where I do better. But um, just with OmniFocus in particular, it's funny, like there's certain things I've always used OmniFocus for, and I think I will for the foreseeable future continue to use it for, which is, as I like to say, and I mean this as the greatest compliment in the world, OmniFocus is where I put everything I don't want to think about. It's It really has become the trusted place that I put, especially repeating tasks and projects that I that I just don't want to have to worry about. So if it's anywhere between a, t- a tiny reminder over here versus a giant pl- thing to plan over here, a lot of that does go into OmniFocus because it, it is uniquely suited. It gives me exactly the right amount of nuisance when I want it without going over the top. But for lots of stuff like remember remember to uh, take out the trash, get a haircut, um, do this thing when I get to the office, a lot of that stuff still goes in OmniFocus for me. But I mentioned this here. The whole reason I wanted to mention this is I finally did something in the past week that I've been meaning to do for five years, which is uh, I have gotten, I have had so many contexts in OmniFocus, you know, like just so many contexts for like down, I've talked about this before, like all the way down to like different specific shops, different stores, different neighborhoods in San Francisco. And the truth is the thing I've known for at least four years is I hardly ever use any of that. I use drugstore. I use grocery store. I use ATM. I use library office house, mm-hmm. right? There's really like a few places that need to be in there and everything else was just satisfying uh, taxonomy. And I went in, I stripped out about 30 contexts <laughs> and I don't miss it at all. Really? It actually it makes it more efficient, not for speed, but like for, for like autofill, it's a lot faster now. There's less things to go through. Do I really need eight different contexts for things that could happen in my office? Do I really need at printer? No, I don't. <laughs> So that was uh, really gratifying and that makes it just way easier to use it for the stuff I, I want to use it for. I still use, I will still frequently use the reminders app on iPad to add something to my inbox on OmniFocus. So I can say, you know, add buy a goat to my task list and it will 
then next time I open OmniFocus, that gets added in as a task. I still do that a lot. What's your go-to uh, like day-to-day, week-to-week task tracking, tracking app right now? You know, I, I keep switching things around and I always find that I go back to this really simple app that seems old and doesn't feel like it's the most updated app and missing a lot of features, but a wonder list. Oh yeah. 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 I still that's, use that's it. also nice for sharing with like a small team. It's really nice for sharing. So I have, you know, like shows to watch and things to remember and things my kid wants for his birthday or things she wants for her birthday or places to visit in Dallas and all of this kind of stuff that I just find it's really easy to just add. And the, the, the app is very nice. It hasn't, you know, they updated it not that long ago, but it seems to sync really, really well. So I have it running on my computer at all times. I have it on my iPhone and my iPad and it, it just kind of works. It just does what I need it to do. And I've become, there's a lot of muscle memory invested in it for me because it was one of the first ones that I'd ever tried and really invested time in. So, you know, it's really easy to add stuff. Like I have a, I have one uh, for my favorite sushi place under there. There's a dining folder that I have and I because it, it, you know, going there for lunch uh, multiple times over multiple months, I kind of figured out these are the roles that I really like and the pieces that I really like. And so I just made a little list. And now whenever I go there, I can just open the list and say, okay, two of these, two of these, two of these. And I know I don't even have to think about it. So it's, it's not as useful for planning out like complicated projects. But it's great for just the day to day. These are the things that I have to do. Yeah, These like the- what David Allen called the runway level. I agree okay. with you. That's okay. that's because that, like for a long time, I think a, a big pillar, and I don't mean to mix by GTD, but one big pillar of GTD is to like not rewrite your to do list every day. Don't ever do that. That's crazy. But like I, I kind of like that. I kind of like. I don't want to have to rewrite the whole thing. But like, I there are times when I don't want to have to think about all this tactical stuff. I, I like the idea of just having, in my case, as I'll mention, a piece of paper which here's the eight things I have to do today. And that makes me feel much more focused in some ways than having to even interact with a device. Yeah. But you're also, I think you're also getting at another pattern, at least for me, I used to think, I used to put a lot more stuff on calendars and in task lists that didn't belong there. So I'm a big advocate for saying, don't put stuff on your calendar unless you have to do it. And I, I'm tempted to even say, don't, don't even put stuff you want to do. Don't put stuff you want to do on the calendar. Put stuff you have to do on the calendar. And that means you now really trust it. Um, because as soon as you start putting optional things on your calendar, game over, you like, you go dead to it. So I'm super picky about what goes on my calendar have been for years. But the other thing is I used to be much more inclined to do something like say, because it was easy enough to add these things with the Mac and now with iOS, I would say, read this story and send that to OmniFocus with a read context. And you can obviously see where this is going. Well, now I use Instapaper, Instapaper for that, where I'll send it straight to Instapaper or if it's a YouTube video, I'll just add it to Plex so I can watch it on Plex when I get home. But that's that's a, actually as subtle as that sounds or as dumb as that sounds, that's a huge pattern. Is like, make sure that your task list contains stuff you, you have to do. Like, <laughs> don't make that a place where, and this is like kind of an old trick, but like, don't, don't be, don't have that, don't have anything but your inbox be a place where you're wondering if you need to do that. If you're wondering whether you need to do it, take it off there. Put it somewhere else. And then the, the other one, like you're saying, <clears throat> increasingly I realized how much stuff I used to think of as, a t- as to do, I now think of as what David Allen would call reference. So I have a list of movies to watch, 
uh, in notes, TV shows to watch, wines to try, restaurants to try, <clears throat> places my daughter wants to go someday, you know, all that kind of stuff. So the thing is, I'll know when I need to go look at that. Well, I'm, what movie should I watch? Go look at that list. That's not actionable. It's not an action item in the classic sense. And I think moving that stuff out can really help help you stay focused when there is actual work to be done. We're running long here. Um, I, one I mentioned before that I like a lot. So yeah, I still I still use and love uh, OmniFocus. And like like we said from the from the early days with OmniFocus, how do you shorten the path from cognition to completion? <clears throat> I mean that that that's a pretty good neck tattoo as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> like take out there are things that will come up between cognition and completion. Remove as many pieces and amounts of time as possible. If it's not going to be completed, take it off the list. You know, if you're if you're just going to think about it, put it somewhere else. But like you know, that's become a very a practical pillar for me. So a lot of times what I'll do is I'll open up task paper and we've talked about task paper plenty in the, in the past. We'll put it in show notes. It's a very light, lightweight text based system for just making a little list of stuff you need to do, you know, party planning, trip planning. Uh, it has a, uh, text format that's supported in editorial, which is great for me because that's where all my text files live. So I'll have, you know, big travel trip dot task paper and I'm able to tick off items as I'm done. It crosses them off the list. But again, now I've fallen back to the notebook where like I find it kind of meditative. Every day or two, I start a new page. I break it into these four sections, my own little kind of silly design for this. And I think about the, the stuff I definitely need to do. Often things, errands I need to run, things I need to buy, big projects I need to be thinking about, you know, and, uh, that has become a really great source of sanity for me is to just sit down and go, okay, what really needs to be done today? And a lot of times that comes down to like uh, read back to work email, uh, record uh, sponsor spots for reconcilable differences, reschedule with John Roderick, like whatever it is that all, <laughs> that all becomes John's been great lately. That was not a slam, but all those things, um, having them on in front of me on a piece of paper, it's, it continues to be just as satisfying for me today as it was on a, on a uh, day runner in uh, 1989. Boom. Other big patterns. Uh, I mean, just some of the big stuff. Like we get, we can't say this enough. Sync. What? Five, six, eight years ago. Syncing was such a not solved problem. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a, as, as TiVo has gotten worse, syncing has gotten better. I think yeah. John Syracuse is doomed, but syncing has come so far and you have so many, not so many, but you have a couple pretty good options for how you want to sync things these days. And I don't, I just don't, I don't lose stuff like I used to bottom line. Yeah. It's really, we've come to take it. So for granted, that just shows you how good it has gotten. It used to be a horrific problem, even just syncing of contact and getting oh, yeah. duplicate contacts, like something that you would think. <laughs> Jason and getting Jason Santa, 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 Santa Maria. <laughs> But, you know, now we don't even think about that. Of course, it's just going to work. Of course, it's going to work. And uh, that that is a huge thing that syncing those tasks. It's it, it's seamless now. That's and your important. calendar calendars don't just break. Right. Like they used to. Right. I guess what I'm trying. I'm not sure what I'm trying to say here. I mean, that, that means less fiddliness in terms of making the sync part work. But it also means you can really trust this iOS device. I think one of the great episodes we should do soon is what iOS devices have changed for us, like having a, or whatever, but a device on hand that's dependable. I like that, I like that. <clears throat> I think we should do that one soon, but that means you don't have to think as much about what will I do when I get back to the computer. There's not so many notes to yourself to what to do later on. You really can trust that that will work, and we're in a very interesting time in that there are so many things that are actually easier to do on iOS in some ways. So those are huge changes. But, um, you know, the, the path from cognition to, 
completion can be a very winding one, but I mean, the bottom line for all of them is, is just use the minimally viable task management to get that stuff done instead of just stored. That's, that's still the bottom line for me. Done that's probably enough stored. for this time. Huh? Yeah, probably. I don't want kind of long. I'm getting a horse. I'm a little horse. Little pony. All right, let's button this up. All right. Okay, I love you. Love you too, Merlin, man.